The year is 1989. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club, where we're going through the best of Marvel comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book journeyman, and I am joined today by Dave, who is my great-great-great-grand-cousin's nephew. My grand-cousin mm-hmm. nephew wearing mm-hmm. my suit in the future. Hey, Dave, welcome to the show. Yeah, we did do one of those tests, and yep. uh, it did confirm what I've known for a long time now. Which is, there's a reason I wear the same outfit as Zach every day, and it's because we're distantly related <laughs> uh, via the timescape. Well, um, besi- besides the, the huge cogs that you wear over your shoulders instead well, of like, I, shoulder Well, I pads. keep wearing those hoping. It's like, you know, it is a bit of a guessing game, right? Like, all the cameras I have in your house aren't, like, working as well as you'd hope. <laughs> so I never quite know when you're going to have the giant cogs on the shoulder. Uh, but yeah, today, right. today it's super paid off. Um, yeah, no, and it's, it's a pleasure to finally... Uh, get to talk to you knowing that you're family because I've thought of you as family really since day one, right? Like who who can you fight with and despise so much and yet come together so <laughs> oh often <laughs> more than family, right? That, that hurt too much Stunned. for me to. No, it that hurt, hurt too much. Too much oh, for me to just like family to banter with. Right, just I'm like gonna, family I'm gonna does. Pout. I'm going to pout for a while. Today's episode we covered. We're talking about Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom: Triumph and Torment. Something. I think you've been building up for like six months of real I don't want to take, I don't want this this credit, this weight of oh, building man. it up. Uh, I boy. like it a lot. I have not been My reaction sitting here saying, uh, hey, Zach, you're going to love this one. Because I know well, if I hype it up too much, you're going to have a problem. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about some part two of the, I guess, what is called the Camelot trilogy. So I guess there's another one coming, Iron Man and Doctor Doom. I mean, technically, then, yes. It's the sequel to the original Doom and Iron Man and Camelot, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is there another, but there's another one coming? The, the third one comes in like the 2000s. It comes way later. So gotcha, gotcha, I don't gotcha. know. Okay. Uh, calling it a trilogy is kind of weird. It's a, it's a rough trilogy. Okay. And then yeah. uh, the beginning of the Crosstime caper, it's going to run into 1990. True, true stories. Um, yep, yep. All right, so let's start with the big one. So Doctor Strange yeah. and Doctor Doom, Triumph and Torment. This is Marvel original graphic novel 49, okay? So we're approaching the 50th graphic novel. Now, obviously, just like big picture, we faded out, you know, on a vast majority of the graphic novels. Part of that is, like, accessibility, right? Like, not all of mm-hmm. them are in Marvel Unlimited. Part of it is not all of them are super relevant. And then, of course, there's quality control which is, like, they start fairly strong. And I think we talked about this with Punisher Assassin's Guild, which is a patron special. And if you want to mm-hmm. add your own comic to the curated leading, reading list, that is one of the bonuses via patreon.com slash this year. So check it out. Um, it is one of the more uh, generous, shall we say, bonuses. Let me, let me be clear, right? This list is carefully curated, and we don't want muddy little hands adding Punisher Assassin's Guild to it. But you're if just the price is right. You're talking to your right, now. <laughs> 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 it just switched into parent mode. Your, your sticky little fingers all over my upholstery <laughs> list. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but no, so that that is one option via patreon.com slash my year. And of course, we 
greatly appreciate all the support there. Uh, but yeah, just like the original graphic novels, they aren't that hot. And Doctor Strange well, and Do- Doctor Doom is, I think, without question, like broadly, critically, the the best one post the first like five, like bar none. Five, I just yeah. don't think it's even close. Because right, you start out with Death of Captain Marvel, uh, the New Mutants start up, and God mm-hmm. Loves Man Kills in the first five. And, and for then, me, like, the only one that's comp- the the only one that gives me pause in terms of ranking is God Loves Man Kills. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and then Dazzler the movie, which is coming in at number twelve. So, how uh, could we forget about that? Yeah. How could we forget? Uh, uh, well, well, the thing about this, looking through this list, is like maybe a th- half less, slightly less than half of these are main Marvel continuity graphic right, novels. Right. right, you're getting a lot of stuff here that is like, oh, Ma- Marvel graphic novel number forty-eight, a sailor's story. <laughs> yeah like, no they, they, they can't quite here. make up its mind if it's a prestige do your own thing imprint or if it's a marvel graphic novel it's, imprint it's kind of similar to vertigo right because where they're doing like hellblazer which is loosely dc adjacent but then they're doing you know preacher right which has nothing to do with the dc universe but then so at guess- the same time and we've talked about this too marvel also launched the epic imprint uh somewhere in this vicinity yeah, which is actually right their attempt at like a proto vertigo type thing <laughs> you know right, right um, so it's a little like electro assassin right that's not part of the graphic novel thing oh mm-hmm. hey one of the next ones coming up from 89 is uh the adaptation of william gibson's neuromancer that's pretty interesting sure yeah no there's there's yeah, some weird and cool. wild stuff and and a lot of yeah, like yeah. i don't know i i big picture what i want to say is like n- yes. very few of the graphic novels hook me in in such a way that I'm like, yes, I'm super eager to explore all of what's going on here, but Triumph and Torment is an exception to that rule. It is actually great. And so this is yeah. a story by Roger Stern, art by Mike Mignola, um, with inks by Mark Badger, colors by Mark Badger, and letters by Jim Novak. Uh, I Again, like God Loves, Man Kills is the only Marvel OGN from this time period where I'd at least look at it and go, I'm not sure which one ranks ahead. Um, probably, though, most times i'm gonna go with triumph and torment and the primary reason there is roger stern uh the writer the the storyteller here you know alongside obviously the collaborators um he really gets dr strange and dr doom especially dr doom like he yeah he takes the history of doom and all those elements that have built over time especially that uh you know that gene colon drawn what was it astonishing tales backup where we get kind of a really dig into doom's relationship with his mother and her being trapped by demons and in this ritual that he undergoes every year of trying to free her it really leans into that and sort of the the empathy that strange can feel towards dr doom and his plight while simultaneously acknowledging that like yeah dr doom is a, a dictator and a murderer and has all of these horrible things in his past um it's a it's a formative moment, I think, to continue the progression of Doctor Doom, who I think is just the greatest supervillain of all time. Um, and for Strange, it's like it's a good Doctor Strange story. Um, yeah, I, it's hard. It, again, like that's a character for me, Stephen Strange. It's hard for me if the story is all about him, and I really like him in this role because it's like he's the lead, quote unquote, but not really. You know, like yeah, this I mean, is Doom. Said it a lot of times. Really. I think Doctor Strange is fun alongside another character. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. And what and what's so, Triumph and so Torment the, does so well is it, it makes it clear that Doom is, like, the right other character for him. You know, they have so much in common in so many ways. Yeah, it's interesting seeing Doom, because we're going to, you know, talk about him bouncing off Iron Man, but, like, just watching him bounce off other heroes is always pretty interesting. Um, he's such, like, a, 
a strong and forceful and like very defined personality. I think at this point um, that I think people, a lot of artists or writers have a lot of fun with it. All right. So the, the general um, overview of what happens here is that there is um, like a summoning of all the world's greatest mystics mm-hmm. by, um, oh, it's not Genghis Khan. Who is it? Old Genghis? The aged Genghis Khan, as we aged call him. Ge- aged Genghis. Um, and it, it's a test to see like who is the Sorcerer Supreme and it, it, it's basically a way of getting Dr. Doom shows up. He, he crashes the party, which is a lot of fun. Other, you know, sorcerers kind of balk at this idea that like Dr. Doom would be included here. Just a super Doom. fun idea, like conceptually, just yeah. crazy fun to begin with, like a tournament yes, yeah. to, to hold on to sorcerer Supreme title and then Doom getting wind of it and being like, Hey, I'm into magic. I want this. Like, that's awesome. I love that concept just to begin with. And in some, you know, random other sorcerer calls him out right like because he uses technology and he's like oh yeah i'll take off my gloves <laughs> yeah i'll pull my gloves okay th- there's a detail here though which is that this goes over both origins um for both characters here yeah uh-huh in the dr doom origin because aged kangas is like looking back at his origin and you see that dr doom went and visited aged Genghis, you know like in a while ago when he was first like before he was really dr doom right when mm-hmm. he was scarred but not yet like wearing the mask and aged Genghis says something about like his slight disfigurement a minor disfigurement oh, and dr yeah. doom lashes out and like kind of freaks out you know backhands the guy something like that and he's yeah. like you mock my you know like like my face <laughs> basically and uh the thing is you get a close-up of dr doom's face and it's barely scarred if like much at all right yeah which i think is an interesting choice i don't know you know if that sticks around but the idea that like is it just his ego, right? Like that—that that caused him to like that he doesn't actually—he did not become like horrifically scarred and this, you know, like monster walking around that makes children cry. Right? Like he has a very minor scar on his face, but he just has such a, a big head that uh, you know he couldn't stand like living with it. It's an I, interesting I know, interpretation. Did you pick up on the I, it's only one panel. So that, it, I, you're right. You're right. That is the interpretation, or at least it comes across that way. Um, that is not a detail that. I think canonically really has held up in many ways. It has absolutely not. Um, But definitely I, I could see the intent like you're Mm -hmm. saying of Stern and Mignola portraying it that way. Cause it is like, that would actually make sense where doom, like even just a slight disfigurement would absolutely drive him up a wall because he's such a, nothing can be wrong with me. No one can see my imperfection. You know, like his ego is so, massive um but i don't think that has really held there there are other characters in the marvel universe like madame mask is one where i'm always kind of like oh that that might be her deal as well uh this idea of Mm -hmm. like she's gorgeous but she always wears a mask kind of thing because you know maybe she has a a slight scar or something um yeah no it's an interesting choice i i really love doom in this tournament too because again like you said he so he has all of his armor on right because he always does um and the magicians are kind of like yeah that's that's cheating man um so he takes off his gloves but then he's still using his tech to literally like in his mask to literally mimic Doctor Strange's moves. It's a really nice detail. I love the way it's visually portrayed. Um, but it's Doom watching Strange, like learning magic on the fly with his suit, like memorizing the patterns, and then kind of, you know, like like almost robotically mimicking these poses as all of the sorcerers need to, you know, undergo these tournament and these battles to to prove themselves the sorcerer supreme. Yeah, fun. Yeah, fun touch. Well, and it, 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 just... it ties into to like one of the things that I think makes Strange and Doom such a cool pairing is Doom knows Strange is better at him than something. And Dr. Mm-hmm. Doom doesn't admit that about 
almost anyone in the Marvel Universe ever. You know, right? That fool Richards is clearly not as smart. You know, like, no one is as intelligent. Tony Stark's armor, Iron Man is his lackey. Like, it doesn't compare. But when he runs into Doctor Strange, as a magician, he knows Strange is better at magic. You know, like, that is that is a thing he's well aware of, and it's clearly documented here. Um, but he he's here to learn how to how to change that, essentially, you know? Yeah, and so the, the way it plays out is that Doctor Strange wins the tournament, but the only other one left standing is Doctor Doom. And AJ Genghis explains that, like, Doctor Strange now needs to give a boon to second place, right? It's these kind of arbitrary rules, but, like, it, they sell it fine. <laughs> it's a weird like, tournament ruling. I, <laughs> like, right. like you win, strange. now you need... It, you know, it's like your responsibility as Sorcerer Supreme is that you need to help the second best. I don't know. But Doctor Doom's boon that he asks for, of course, is to help his mother escape um, this, like, demon who has her soul, which we've seen for, like, 30 years, right? This is this is a plot yeah. point. I, was this Stanley invention? Like, it, it's... Well, it's, it's the... the, the yeah, no, least. it's in the Lee and Kirby. I think even in Fantastic Four number five, um, there is, I think, a quick glimpse of doom like studying those like mystical texts so mm -hmm. i i think it's like i think there's like the hint to it and then it gets fleshed out over time yeah well yes yeah yeah we definitely see it fleshed out okay so th this is the culmination of like i'm saying like about 30 years somewhere around there of like dr doom's story being built up here right your, I mean, your like math here is wild up. what your math here is wild that would take us to 1959 50. Oh yeah, and I'm just adding an extra decade here. <laughs> yeah. Unless you got well, some really real heads, cool like real heads uh, tales of suspense knowledge to drop on me. Yeah, Jack Kirby was actually like writing about this. A little Doctor yeah, Droom maybe is where the secret uh, truly begins. Yeah, right. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, you just uh, you, you haven't read the deep cuts from in uh, the original they're not, they're Groot. Not Marvel if you read the original Groot, <laughs> <laughs> you will see Doctor Doom. Yes. No, yeah, yeah you're this... right. It's it's been going on for a long but time. You're right. Twenty years, yes. Yeah. And and it does get so. I think we kind of have to. Now that we get into like, okay, Doctor Doom's going to talk about the role that you know of his mother being trapped in in hell, uh, and Mephisto becoming you know the villain here, right? So Mephisto has his mom in the hell dimension in Marvel, right? And here we kind of do have to get into just visually what this book becomes, which is the bread and butter of artist Mike Mignola. Now, getting mm -hmm. into Mike Mignola in 2021 is a little bit of a tricky thing, and I do want to say up front that this this like legendary extremely well-regarded comics creator um like creates the entire hellboy universe right everything you know about hellboy and those comics being so well-regarded like 98 percent mignola right and but he had longtime collaborator with scott alley who has some of the worst allegations i've seen like mm -hmm. in the comics industry of sexual harassment throughout the years okay and there's this question of basically like what did Mignola know and when he has since apologized you know pretty late in the game after like the th at, after at it all minimum after like the third amount of of you know third time things came out or whatever mm -hmm. you know like probably even more than that um so I personally uh do not feel comfortable celebrating Mignola the way I otherwise would have purely on a comics creator basis because personally I think there were some massive massive mistakes there um Again, it's not just guilt by association. It's like there's like absolute collaboration. He didn't do the deed, you know, but it, yeah, there's, I mean, we, there's a lot of questions about what do yeah, you know about. I mean, and it's speculation. Yeah, I, I, and I don't think it's up to – yeah, right. A lot of speculation. I don't think it's up to us to arbitrate it, you know, because he has said like I, – I mean, he is somewhat fessed up to like, yeah, I probably knew more than I – you know, didn't didn't want to see the writing on the wall, etc., and buried my head in the sand, and that caused harm to people. 
you know, that's not up to us to say he is forgiven <laughs> or, you know, that we let this go. Oh, no, no. I mean, yeah, we're not going to absolve yeah. or say what the right approach yeah. is for yourself. I'm saying personally for myself, having seen what I've seen about those allegations, um, they are too harmful to real people and too damaging and just so much a a part of obviously what has been a cycle of a history, really, not a cycle even, of, you know, sexual harassment in the comics industry that I'm like, okay, this is one we know about. I don't I don't want to celebrate the work in the way that I would, okay? So I'm going to talk about this book a little bit differently. I'm going to focus primarily on, like, the Stern contributions. Just, just full disclosure, like, that's where my head's at reading this. But let's just say... Mignola makes his bread and butter making demons, right? He writes Hellboy, he creates Hellboy, and visually, that's like, this is proto-Hellboy. You know, you get Mephisto, you get Hell, you get Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom there. It is visually uh, about as good as a Marvel... It is the best Marvel original graphic novel, this side of Jim Starlin doing Death Captain Marvel, I think. Yeah, it's very good-looking. It's interesting because, like... Mignola, Mignola's style is so distinctive. I'm reading Hellboy right now. I'm trying to like do a read through of that this year. Just mm-hmm. timing. Um, but I think the thing that actually like makes this not look as much of a Mignola work as you normally would think is that he's not coloring or inking it, and that's yeah. a huge part of him, right? Because he's like, I think his inking style is even more distinctive than his pencils. Because um, Mark Badger is doing the inking and coloring here. I think he's doing a great job. I actually think Mark Badger's colors here and his color palette use is like incredible. It's very um, interesting. It is, th- yeah, yeah. There's a real like kind of I I don't know like fabricy, slightly faded reds and greens, right? Like it, it looks like a little sun bleached i i don't know how to yeah. describe it um yeah but there's, there's a really consistent like palette to this that I, I like and that really captures both the um the colors of like hell and just the vibe of all this like sorcery going on so yeah uh, a lot of a lot of praise to how the book looks for me um i, I think okay so dr strange dr doom go to hell um they fight mephisto they get into a you know kind of a, a big brawl with him this is uh, a good Dr. Mephisto Doom. showing too. I, I do want to say, like, it I is. actually Mephisto's don't usually here, yeah. come away from a Mephisto story thinking like that's an interesting character. You know, like he's so yep. stock the devil. I think probably like Silver Surfer number three is the exception to this. Um, but Mephisto here is actually like pretty interesting. He's scheming. He's all powerful. Um, he acknowledges Strange and Doom's power to a degree, but simultaneously, like they kind of don't have a chance, you know? So it's, I actually, mm-hmm. I like this version of him. Um, but yeah, so they go to hell, you were about to say, and they're they're here trying to save Doom's mom. And, and Doom um, supposedly trades Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange's life, like tricks Doctor, or backstabs Doctor Strange and delivers him to Mephisto in exchange for his mother. And then when he gets his mother, mother's soul back, Mephisto like gives her a new body and it's like reviving, resuscitating her, or, um, what's the word? Um, Re, not reincarnate, um, whatever, brings her back I feel to like life. all these re's apply, yeah. There's another one I'm thinking of, Dave, and people aren't listening to this are going to be yelling it. Anyway. Reanimated. Um, yeah, no, that's not it either. Damn it. Um, she comes back to life, and she realizes that her son brought her back to life by bartering away, like, the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah. And she rejects, you know, like, gaining anything from this bargain. This and, is the one that... piece of the story that I kind of that kind of loses me. I'll say really. Oh, I yeah, like, I like this. You do. Okay. okay. Why? I, yeah. Why? It's just it's such a fast condemnation. So like, all right, mom's been in hell. <laughs> she just <laughs> she just gets yeah. brought back with a chance at freedom. Essentially, mm-hmm. she takes in the surroundings and is so overcome with condemnation immediately. 
of her son's action at betraying the Sorcerer Supreme, which, like, what context does she have for Stephen Strange? Like, she's not like, oh, Man, this guy's so knows, great. Yeah. You know what, what I mean? The Sorcerer Supreme is in, uh, you know, like, as a as an idea yeah perhaps that that i would actually buy into more she's like this will set the magics into chaos and there won't be a protector and that's that's worse for so many people i don't know it just feels it's very fast and it needs to be um but it it, could be another very quick where she's like like, nope i'm out for me forget you son who just came to hell to rescue me (laughs) i don't know that that felt too fast to me uh, well, I guess I guess I like the way that that like leads into the next time. I I didn't have a problem with that, but like I could see another page of like a, a moment between Doom and his mother first, right? And like seeing some hesitation in her making that choice. But that choice is kind of critical because one, Doctor Doom has like set up Doctor Strange to be able to escape. Right? He's put some of his tech in his hand. Yeah, and he's you know he's double crossing, triple crossing Mephisto, um, and then Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom, and the statue of Dr. Doom's mother are all like being buffeted by Mephisto's flames. And it's this, you know, unbeatable energy. And they're at their last moment of survival that, you know, can't hold back any longer. And then Dr. Strange releases Dr. Doom's mother's soul to heaven, presumably, right? It's, it's like whatever the Marvel equivalent of heaven is here. Because now she has purified her soul via the condemnation of Victor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like she has not taken this, temptation of like profiting from that betrayal um which that if that power, was her play clever ruse mom well, clever sure. ruse. <laughs> but uh you know that like power of heaven coming down like buffett's i keep a you've buffett twice this episode you're a big buffett guy you always i love that. love buffett i mean it um, explains why you're like you're rolling around in money over there you're swimming in a, in a vault of gold <clears throat> hawaiian shirt oh, oh, oh no wait that's uh, oh, you're, you're going Jimmy. Buffett. I was going Warren. I'm talking Warren. Jimmy Buffett. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Warren Buffett. You went right to Warren Buffett? <laughs> Buffett on Buffett. Okay. Um, <clears throat> anyway, that... The, the you do have the guitar him. behind you. I, I really should have seen the Jimmy. Yeah, the Hawaiian <laughs> shirt. And the, you have a literal guitar. Usually I'm joking when I say these things. Um, the cheeseburger on a plate is, is a bit of a stretch, the, Zach. The parrot okay? on my shoulder. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah the, the power of heaven in anime uh, beats back Mephisto and... Um, that, you know, that's kind of the conclusion of this. Mephisto sends them back. I think, okay, so there's a couple things that I I think make this really work. Because, you know, in a different context, if this was told differently, I think this could be kind of a generic Doctor Strange story. There's there's two big things I like. One, Uh I think Stern sets up really nice stakes and, like, boundaries of where the story, like, the the stakes of the story are really clear here, right? And it is not kind of your general, like, Doctor Strange has power, of you know a 75 power level mephisto has a power level of 180 they fight each other all right dr strange did a trick to bring his power level up high right like it's this kind of vagueness that dr strange lives in sometimes with the magic we've talked about this before like yeah no they can't they can't actually beat mephisto in mephisto's realm like that is clear and it stays that way and, and the stakes of dr doom's mother soul are really clear and they like he always keep it without it being spelled out right like these are not like a, a super well-defined magic system ever um but the the stakes of what are at play are always really well defined and i think that keeps it grounded enough that like i can stay really invested and it doesn't feel like it's full of deus ex machinas right like everything feels earned and all the like twists and turns and ups and downs of the battles and stuff feel genuinely like i i'm invested because i know kind of what is at stake and where um like w- when dr strange or dr doom 
lose or gain ground, he makes it clear why and what's happening. And it's not just like, yeah, you know, oh, the spell failed or, you know, my, whatever. I, I think like it's all rooted in both the character and like um, the, the setup does a lot to, to help this. And I think that's the problem I have to Doctor Strange in general in his comics is I sometimes feel a little adrift in like the magic world, which feels tough to get invested in without clear stakes. Um, the other part of that is that, like, I really like that he actually literalizes some of the characters that we've seen <clears throat> or some of the people that they yell out. Like, we actually get to see, um, what is it, like, Agamotto, who's a tiger, I think. Yeah, right. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, uh, earlier else, in the tournament. The, yeah, who are the other two? I can't remember. Um, and, that, and that's a thing that you'll see throughout Doctor Strange comics. You know, I, I don't know that that's a Stern and Company invention. Yeah, but I, I just like... Um, but it's, it's a, it's a, a little... very good touch, I think. Yeah, because instead of it just being, like, a fun Stan Leeism, it's like these mm. are actual mystical beings in the Marvel Universe, yeah. uh, which is awesome. But, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, like, Mephisto can eat eat a ball of them like they're floating in a ball of magic and Mephisto eats them but you're actually grounded in what's happening that's a hard thing to pull off you know um and it's just like there's one clear mission and that's that's the extent of it and it begins and it ends it's it fits the graphic novel format so well because it's like if this was six issues or you know with subplots flying around and you know all sort like it, it wouldn't feel as tight I don't think I think you'd get lost potentially in in just like too much of it all um but it being quick and not quick but like you know confined to 80 pages and done i definitely do well think paced for this 80 kind of pages story. too yeah i think yeah i think like yeah yeah and also to have fits in i feel like you know it does it works well having all this history with both of these characters right but it also does give you all of that information right it does like fill in the origins of both these characters in a way that doesn't feel like i'm just reading it again you know like all right gotta skim through this because i already know all this like it's an engaging retelling of both of their stories you get why it's happening uh even if you don't need the information yeah very very good very good stuff i think uh lived up to all my expectations oh good good no so like the ending the very ending of this is doctor strange kind of so they get out of hell doom doom basically strange is like hey let me help you up that was pretty crazy we're just in hell and doom's like get away from me we're done (laughs) you know we we had our deal but i'm out of here and doctor strange then kind of contemplates like did Dr. Doom actually plan to the lose whole, his mom's love? Yeah. And that was his plan was to do that to then free her by getting her to heaven, which is a cool Doom move, you know? Like the, the yeah. literally the only thing in the world that he genuinely wants, you know, that uh, that he can't have, um, that yeah. other people have, that he would like actually give that up. You know, it, it definitely gives into that sort of, what's the word? That that royal, haughty, um, very lovable character you know despite the fact that he has all these flaws uh it's a it's a solid ending because we don't know the answer either you know but it's like the implication is certainly like yeah he probably did plan that and that's just the kind of guy victor is (laughs) oh you know the other thing i really loved about this his mom yeah he does love his mom it's it's very sweet the the thing that i really love about this that like solidified this is great to me which Uh i I think if it hadn't done this it would have not been is that he saved his mom Right. That's that's what I mean. Like we've had all this buildup for decades. Yeah, that's true. Right. And he did save his mom. This is not like, all right, well, back it. Like this is Dr. Doom's quest fulfilled. It feels done. Right. And I don't know if they're going to revisit this and his mom's going to get redamped to hell. That would be awful. But like this feels like (laughs) something we don't get often, which is that like a storyline that has been dangling for a long time with big ramifications for a character. Right. Is now wrapped. Right. right? Like and it is in the past. And that sounds great. Uh, Like. Yeah, That's a really okay, good point. Um, like to actually yeah, um, resolve something 
lingering and to put a bow on it and say like okay we can tell new stories now and, and something um, big that matters too right like this is such a core part of dr doom's like entire motivation i'm kind of curious like if we see him react more to this you know if he like feels listless and like without <laughs> purpose yeah or, yeah it is interesting uh, how you describe it that way i mean i don't think there's like yeah. a quick there, there's definitely not like an immediate follow-up where it's like and doom became this then you know yeah, right, as a right, result right, right. Uh, but that potential being there is exciting and is yeah. I, I don't think this is a, a spoiler, but I'm like I'm looking at her Marvel fandom wiki page, and that looks it. This looks like it. It doesn't look like you know she's revived in the '90s and you know whatever. So like pretty cool. I'm uh, I'm very down with like them you know actually like following through and finishing off something. So it's a good one. Well, I'm That's glad to hear it lived up to your expectations because I was yeah. worried they were too high. I was worried they were way too high. Um, but it is it is quite good. I think for both these characters. Uh, so we do and, have some and then more we get Doom. More Doctor Doom immediately. We do immediately this. get more Doctor Doom here, teaming up with Iron Man in the follow up to I think it, it was Iron Man one forty nine to one fifty. I think um, was yeah, the first is, round of this. A lot of fun because it's like it was David Michelinie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David Michelinie and Bob Layton a hundred issues ago did the first part of this, and then you know like eight years later and. 10 100 issues later they came in and like did a follow-up to it which is a lot of fun and they don't like rest on their laurels and just kind of do the same thing again right they're doing a big different sequel similar idea but with a twist yeah no it's it's a really cool idea i I wish there was more of in comics honestly where it was like oh hey guess what it's like anniversary issue time we're gonna come back to this general framework for an idea that doesn't really happen much actually in comics um it reminds me a little bit of like uh, a thing we see now with like on the boom studio size with klaus um with graham morrison and dan morris comic where it's like yeah every christmas there's a new klaus special which is probably pronounced claus because it's santa claus um yep and it, it's like <laughs> and uh it's just like i like i like recurring ideas that happen at certain time points um this does that instead of them going back in time to camelot this time these issues are them going into the future but dealing with the presence of camelot <laughs> which is mm-hmm. uh, they go to the year Weird. 2093 yeah. Um, and like King Arthur has been cryogenically frozen and then revived as a like youngish boy and Merlin's around being cool because with a little bit of like making fun of yuppies because it's just like his his, King Arthur's yuppie parents like put their career first so they just you know like put a a, um, put an embryo like you know on ice uh, (laughs) and then like he wasn't born till much he was born much later than was like prophesized yeah this future, yeah, it, this 2093 future, kind of sucks. <laughs> like, like, there's really, that, there's very little interesting about it. Um, kind of reminds the, me of the Legion of Superheroes thing, where I'm just like, oh, I get no feeling for what this future actually is. Oh, see, it's not even that. It's not even that interesting to me. Um, I yeah, it's it. That's not the point, though. The point is like, okay, Iron Man and Doom yet again sent into a weird time trap. What are they gonna do? The thing I actually like more about 249 and 250 than I did the original is instead of them going up against, you know, magic elements, is they actually wind up taking on versions of themselves. And yep. in the case of Iron Man, that is a distant future relative, which was your joke at the beginning of this. It's very undefined. That was my joke was because, like, I looked it up, and it's never defined his relationship to this guy. Or No, the I, guy think he says, his... I think no, he no, says. No, no, because he talk... this guy talks about his grandfather, Arno, and I looked up Arno Stark, and Arno's no got definition. a whole thing, right? Uh, but, Arno's but like Iron he, Man. He has been named as like like three different comics have called him three different relations of Tony Stark. So like, there's no real set relation to him. Apparently, you're talking about Andros. Yeah, I mean, uh, mostly what we know about Andros is he's some 
distant relative of Arno. Arno is yeah. like the simplest version of it is a kind of complicated bad version of Iron Man who becomes Iron Man in the year 2020 as per the Machine Man, uh, what do you call it, limited series that we did yeah. not read as part of the club. And yeah. I thought about it because it's got Barry Windsor Smith art and it looks really cool. Um, the covers are awesome. But anyway, that's that's Andrew cool, Stark. Uh, He's got big cool. cogs on his shoulder, big, yeah, uh, big clock cogs, cogs a la Arno. Those cogs, cogs rule. It's a unique design. I, I love will those give gears. it that. It's it really controversial because it, it came back in like 2020, right? There's a Iron Man. Well, of course it did. It's Iron Man 2020. Right. Oh, yes, exactly. But like it was all over. Like, there was a bunch of conversation around it. I love I love those cogs. Um, you know what I could do? I could the... use a shirt of is um, Cogsworth from Beauty and the Beast wearing mm-hmm. Arno Stark's cog armor. I feel like that would be a really good joke that a lot of people would enjoy. <laughs> like a, that, that is like a very like 2005, you know, when people first realized they can order t-shirts from the internet and they're just like <laughs> my two favorite properties smushed onto one shirt yeah not that yeah. i'm not, not guilty of that um remember the, the other Radio. thing is that... oh man 2005 what a time uh the other the other fun twist that i like a lot more than andrew stark is dr doom of the future is yep. still just victor von doom i love yes, it yes that's I a love great it. review so at first it, it sets it up that maybe it's like a robot at first because like under his suit is just a lot of mechanics and stuff, but nope, he's just kept alive by like you know he's he's got an entire like hospital worth of equipment stuffed into his suit and uh, and then like the original Doctor Doom is there and eventually meets him and is disgusted that like he would have ever extended his life to be this like grotesquerie yeah um this abomination and he blasts the guy <laughs> he just like he blasts him to dust to kill yeah. him. It's so good, like, Doctor Doom, like, murdering his future self just because he's grossed out by him. And, like, <laughs> it's interesting, like, just rejecting that the possibility. I mean, you know, it's kind of fun and funny. It's very Doctor Doom, but it's also this, like, fun literalizing of, like, this rejection of the what you see in yourself and, like, are you disgusted by, right? And, like, right. It's, it's made literal in front of him. I really I really like that. I, I forgot, I have to point out, one of the first things in this comic is uh, Doctor Doom visits Tony Stark at his house, and he goes up to the wall and he's like, Oh, Renoir, eh? I have three. I used to have four, but I destroyed one. And Stark's like, that's priceless. Why? And he's like, it displeased me. <laughs> very good. Very good Doom dialogue. Very funny Doom moment. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So this one, like you said, it's written by David Michelini with with art and inks by Bob Layton again. Um, yeah. And I, I love I love that thing of the future meeting the future version of yourself and disagreeing with them i think it's especially great mm-hmm. with supervillains there are a few examples through marvel history even some recent stuff where this becomes a really good thing it's also a thing that we're going to see with doom like over and over again like basically well, if you do a, a marvel future and, the future yeah. version of, of doom should be the same victor von doom i don't care how you make it happen but make it happen because otherwise your future is basically null and void there's no point that he's just like seeding all timelines with himself is, you know, like a very interesting. I mean, because I, I still don't know if they have landed on that being like a for sure yes, Kang is Doctor Doom from the future, right? But there's a ton of Kangs everywhere. Right? Well, there's we a Kangs. there's a strong implication that Kang is a relative, a um, that he's related to Doctor Doom, but not necessarily yeah. that they're one and the same. It initially they thought they were one and the same, and maybe that's changed, and we just haven't, you know, bumped up against that. Um, right, and then also. That who's Rob Rot Ramatut? That Ramatut is also Ramatut. Like, yep. 
him as well. Anyway, I, I like all that. that. That's kind of funny. It can get confusing. Do you want to do 25 speaking... minutes on Kang chronology? It'll be really fun. <laughs> God, that sounds terrible. Just read every comic with a, a Kang in it. Uh, speaking of cross-time Kang, Kang purrs, Kang purrs. You're, you're on that one. You're on that one. If you want to edit that and, and make it as smooth as you can, that was a good pun. I'll give you that. Speaking of cross-time Kang purrs. Nailed it. <laughs> No, it doesn't work better if I say saying Kangpers. The faster you say like it, the better it is. is. Really upsetting. Um, we uh, we're we're starting out the Excalibur. Wait, hang on. I just want to compliment run. you again. That was literally some of your finest work. <laughs> well it, no, it wasn't. That was not a good joke. Oh my um, gosh! Can't even take yeah. a compliment. Yep. Uh, the Excalibur twelve through sixteen is the beginning of a long run. We we saw the beginning of this Nazi train, but I think we we skipped over. The fact that it is skipping through time, and now Excalibur is stuck on it, and there's a little lizard on board, and every time he absorbs a bunch of energy, it just yeah, he, jumps. He's them. a like alien robot widget. Yeah, widget. Okay, yeah, and he uh, he absorbs energy and like propels the train through time, and they're just hopping through a multiverse of like similar but different universes and Earths. Now, um, Zach, can I make yeah. a, can I make a prediction here? Yeah, yeah, it's that you hated these, with the exception of one really good joke. Am I right? Uh, okay, so no, I didn't hate them, and no, I don't know what the joke is, but maybe if you tell me. Love it. Yes, All right. It Unpredictable. Okay, what would you think, though? Yeah. Uh, I don't think these are bad. I think I am, like, it, they They are, this is, seemed, this is such a thing where it's like, if this is your jam, you're going to love it. Yeah. It's really not my jam, but I also think it's okay. It's kind of funny. Like, he's having a ton of fun here. Like, he's clearly messing around. I don't think it's a disaster. I just, it made me want to go read all the Jim Starlin stuff we love, because I feel like it shares some DNA with that, the, like, absurdity. Mm, the goofy warlock, kind of like cosmic Right, stuff, yeah? exactly, all that warlock stuff, and why I responded so well to this, but not... responded so well to that, but not to this. It's it's quite um, dense, I will it's say. It's very dense, um, and it there's a lot going stops, on. and compared... Like, I was just talking about stakes with Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom, where it's always clear what the, like, the stake of the moment is, yeah, right? Yeah. And here, Claremont, one... He's always got like three or four threats happening all at once and all these plot lines. And that's, you know, always been him. But like this is this never... is like him on amphetamines, though. This is the part it I really, thought you'd it... really negatively react to is, yeah. I mean, the the complete like dispersion of plots and just the chaos of like, chaotic, what is yeah. your focus, man? I thought you would really yeah. reject that because I think it's really going overtime here on Excalibur. Yeah, it is. I, I think maybe like because it has that lightness of touch, like I at least wasn't like, listen, like. I didn't love this, and when I flipped to our spreadsheet for 1990 and saw that we're reading eight more issues of this cross-time caper, I did uh, swear out loud, even though I'm by myself. Um, well, you did call me first. Don't pretend like you just said that to yourself. And <laughs> <laughs> just started cussing you out. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, no, I'm not excited to read more, but I, I, I don't think I can say, like, in good conscience, these are bad. I think... If people love this, I can see why. I think he's got a ton of ideas. It's fun and funny and like... Well, actually, I, I don't even think it's that funny, but I could see you find... I could see someone with a lesser sense of it's humor finding goofy. it It's goofy. I don't know that it, it's almost never funny. Um, yeah, like laugh out loud funny. Moments, it might be like but... make you smile. That's a good... There are some good gags. There are some well-placed comedic All right, beats. What's, what's the one you thought I would like? So, okay, yeah. First, I want to say... This is written by Chris Claremont. Pencils mm -hmm. by Alan Davis, inks by Paul Neary throughout, right? And they they are a very in sync creative pair, right? Like totally, they are making yeah. well constructed comics. I think just visually, 
there are some good gags here. It, maybe not I laugh out loud funny, but definitely like smart little comedy stuff. Al- Alan Davis is really talented. I don't think I like his style. <laughs> yeah. Much. Yeah. No, I hear <laughs> it, that. It's, um, it's on I, the cartoony side of things that like makes me it, like it's cartoony, but then. I, I don't know. There, there's something about it that like makes me not be able to take it seriously, which it's not a serious comic. So I don't know. It just it's not, it it's not meant to be taken seriously me. for sure. Yeah. I mean, I I respect Alan Davis more than I really like his stuff. Like I know yeah, he's kind of a creative legend. Um, again, like he's he's the artist on the Captain Britain series with Alan Moore. You know that I talk mm. about all the time. That is really really interesting as well. So like he can do a yeah, lot a, of different a very styles. Good he's artist, incredibly for sure. talented. There's nothing about this that I think is like bad <laughs> yeah, yeah i just i, I think his well style just well let me like... let me back that up though because i actually do think i think these are pretty tough to read um honestly i think if you're i i actually enjoyed the first 11 issues a lot more than mm-hmm. when we dig into now what becomes this cross time caper which runs from excalibur 12 through 24 okay and after reading what we just did for this this round of the club, which was, what is it, 12 through 16, the mm-hmm. first thing I did was I, I went into the list for 1990, and I put a big old red mark through the rest of this for that reading <laughs> list because I'm like, I don't want to read this. I don't want to read the yeah. rest of this. It's, <clears throat> it's too much. It's too dense, and it's not working for me very hard. Now, to your point, like again, there are some people who grew up on this or, or came to it at the right time. It, it will hit hard for some fans. I think especially, like, if you dig any of these characters, Shadowcat, Phoenix, Kurt, you know, mm-hmm. Mega. Like, I love Nightcrawler, but for me, this never this never feels like a good Nightcrawler book. But besides the point, Captain Britain, Megan, obviously. Um, I understand why people might really enjoy it. Like you said, too, like, it's super light on its feet. It's jovial in a way the X-Men never gets to be. That piece of but it unf- can be unf- very appealing. The, the focus. I think the focus is really the issue. And honestly, I mean, it's weird because it's like, I find, I, I'm feeling like I'm hearing you finally hear what I've been saying about Claremont, like, for, you well, know, I'm. I, I don't agree. I, I don't always agree with it being a times. problem on the X Men side, but I do. Yeah, no, I. I totally. I'm listening. I listen sometimes, and <laughs> I. When you articulate that point, I think it, it's very true for Excalibur. It's just this book is yeah, like, I, what are you doing? Where are we going? It, 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 maybe with X Men, it doesn't like chafe you quite as much because you're also like, well, I still love what's happening, even if like the the plot of the moment is a little unfocused i'm yeah. still like really invested in these characters in this story and like what's happening to them whereas excalibur like are you really invested in like th- exactly what's happening with like their silly adventures that are not leading into any kind of wider you know they're they're in like the land of fey they're in uh this goofy world where like i don't even really everyone is auditioning to be a superhero for chris claremont and john byrne maybe i couldn't tell did, yeah did i think that was supposed to be Byrne. um yeah because yeah. there's she hulk behind him he's got the big yeah a, and, and he's, he's writing west coast avengers at this point he's, uh yeah. chris claremont setting himself off with uh, the entire hellfire club staff around him do you chris yeah that's that that was pretty funny right like him just being surrounded by a bunch of the hellfire hellfire women like in their you know yeah sexy like black leather gear i'm gonna i'm gonna go probably an alan davis touch rather than claremont dictating that um but either way uh, yeah i mean i think like with excalibur it it, conceptually i do actually really like the idea like i like the idea of this team suddenly on a rocket train through the marvel multiverse like no Mm -hmm. book is doing that that's a really interesting idea that i can think of series that come later like exiles in the early 2000s that are books i really liked um some of this might just be like, when did you come to it? And, you know, when was it written? And what style is it in, right? But with, with this version of the multiverse, like, I, first off, I think 
I probably just don't like Land of Fae stories. <laughs> I think, like, probably, like, as a rule of thumb with X-Men, mm-hmm. that just kind of never hits for me. I don't know. Yeah. I, I Even, like, the modern Excalibur, I kind of have a similar problem. Yeah, the Teeny Howard stuff didn't didn't work for me either. Yeah, it, It's a similar idea, honestly. Um, but, but with this stuff, like, once they get out of that, I start to get the most interested. Um, issue 14 is this weird version of the multiverse where like all the marvel heroes like you said are like in this weird audition dystopia um we find out at the end of it that it's all like being run by the impossible man essentially uh it's it's comedic so the gag in that issue that i thought you really enjoy is rick jones uh rick jones is like one of the key supporting characters who shows up this alternate version and he is desperate to be somebody's sidekick and it's pretty funny they repeat the gag enough that it works really well i think that is that is funny because he's just like yeah i worked with captain marvel but now he's dead and then i worked with the hulk for a while if he didn't save me i would have been the hulk and like and uh and like captain britain's response to that of just being like oh yeah yeah cool kid like (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm just like disbelieving yeah yeah i'm sure you could have been the hulk is uh is pretty funny and then when he punches the hulk rick jones is like you punch some you punch someone with the mind of a baby how dare you right like right the hulk is right hulk just balls into crying i mean but like if you take that idea on paper and you just tell me like yeah it's gonna be an x-men story and this issue they're gonna be in like a a wild you know marvel multiverse with all the superheroes gone wrong this issue is gonna be uh kurt wagner doing john carter warlord of mars stuff i mean like on paper i'm like that sounds awesome well i'd love to read that it's the same thing I've, I've said a million times where it's just like if he cut out a third of his storylines or just spread them over more issues, right, I think they would just be more successful. But it's not right. Like, so you've got like every <clears throat> every issue here is interspersed with this like TechNet stuff Did, or a bunch of like TechNet. Th- TechNet killed me. I got to say TechNet kills me. See, because I, I even read them and I was like, you know what? TechNet's not so bad. Like, they I don't something. hate TechNet like like just like, you know, in any context. But in these issues, especially for some reason, every time we cut to TechNet, with the exception of when they like go and capture Jamie Braddock, which is the thing that I'm actually like mm-hmm. big picture I'm interested in because it matters. Um, I don't know. Just every cutaway, I was like, I don't, I don't care about TechNet right now. Like, I want to do the multiverse. No, thing. I don't care about TechNet right now. That's the point, right? Like, I, I it, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it, this is it's kind of funny, like hearing you you say this because it is something where I'm just like, hey, this is not a bad idea, but like, yeah pick what you want to focus on today right like yeah. this is the technet ha, do one issue of technet well, I, I think like right the thing for me is like i don't it. always i i think you're pretty consistently in that camp whereas obviously yeah. i'm like it's kind of contextual for me you know it depends sure. on yeah. the yeah. on the, the comics content. that we're reading and for yeah. excalibur it just it breaks and yeah um i i don't know like i i again i feel i know there are people that love these and as somebody who quite loves x-men I want to like them a lot more, but I just mm-hmm. reading them and, and reading them again. Now I'm like, yeah, I don't want to keep reading this. Like I'm, yeah. I'm good. Like I'm definitely more interested in reading this again, honestly, once Claremont's off it and Alan Davis starts writing and penciling yeah, and the book kind of becomes like something else. Which is like kind of interesting. I'm well, the series does. The... Claremont doesn't. He'll be off. Right. Yes. Oh no, no. I know Not that. Not too far but from like, now. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, what it happens through, what, what happens in it all through the nineties. One, one good thing we do get is um, Jamie Braddock, who was last seen in the Captain Britain uh, 12 issue run that I think was Jamie Delano and Alan Davis. Um, Jamie Braddock is the oldest brother of Betsy and Brian, and he mm-hmm. was captured by Doc Croc, who we meet here. And Jamie wears the tightest white thong. And uh, oh. he's, he's got some mental instability to put it kindly uh and he's also got immense immense mutant uh reality warping powers so we get kind of a marvel my marvelous year introduction to jamie who is 
an interesting character, I will say. Um, Jamie Stephan mm-hmm. Excalibur does tend to get my he was, attention. He was interesting enough here. Yeah, it just, again, it was like, you know, there, it, he was interesting alongside other four plot lines that were all getting equal, <laughs> equal, yeah. like, time and uh, import put up on them. Um, the, uh, the something I do want to mention here, I feel like Chris Claremont is also having his most fun with, like, playing around with, like, gender identity and, uh, oh, and like, Davis sexuality too, like, here, time, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, so, like, um, one of the, uh, one of the technet people, Joy Boy, like, can mold people depending on their, like, own self-image or something. And so this this one guy that they can I think it's what they want the most. It's, like, their idea of, like, self-actualization, kind of. Right. And this one man, what he wants is to be, like, big and strong enough to dominate this woman, but also to be her, like, his boss. Right. And, so and, it's and like the woman big... is, what we know is, she's Courtney Ross. And oh, I, I, don't, I, don't I, th- I, I think it's pretty clear at this point in Excalibur that she's also a mirror image of Saturnine. Who oh, is right. the yeah, Universal she, she, Yeah, she came in later, and I was like, oh, I don't remember where you're from, but you definitely have shown up Yeah, th- those scenes definitely <clears> helped <throat> to have read uh, previous Excalibur issues. So that's Nigel Frobisher. But yeah, you're totally right. Like He goes from like this really hulking man to a dead ringer for Saturnine to a mixture of the two. And yep. it is definitely like this very gender-fluid visual appetite that the book takes yeah, on. And, and who, you know, you know who, who knows what... Claremont means here I just think it's interesting that he's playing with these ideas you know like a man who is feels emasculated by his boss so he wants to dominate her but then he also kind of wants to be her right I think like those are some interesting um ideas well, I think... you know he, he's, he's not hanging out in that space too much but just the fact that it's in a comic is uh is I think pretty interesting well and for playing it as silly as this book does and I could be wrong like I didn't read this super closely but I don't think it makes a lot of the easy cheap jokes that would sort of undermine any of that, no, you know, not, as well. No, I think I, it's pretty think good about that. Anything. And it yeah. also, like, they do a lot with just, like, like the women here switching bodies. And at one point, mm-hmm. Kurt is in, like, drag. Um, it's just, like, as a cutaway of just, like, hey, there's Kurt in, like, a dress running away. They clearly were in some hijinks that we don't even find out about because it's so fast-paced moving. That stuff, I think, is really well done. Um, and, yeah, I do, I do think at its heart, like, the book is, it's really more of, like, a rom-com kind of i don't know like not a huge romance element but like it's just a ton of like kind of commonplace almost like office like just like workplace romance type stuff of just mm-hmm. small little like captain britain and megan and then megan and nightcrawler and phoenix yeah, and Shadowcat yeah, and them little, and alistair yeah. stewart like it's it's more focused on that than hardly anything even as the book is like on this crazy multiversal hop so you just if you enjoy hanging with the characters in that in that headspace um i hear that i get it totally totally um <clears throat> anything anything else about Excalibur? I will say, I, it, well, it's very weird because I feel like we came down on this that I actually like this more than you. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you do. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not uh, what you expected, but I also am kind of relieved that we are nixing more of this for uh, for the next batch. Cause yeah, I mean, if I you did... love it, if you love it or you just want to complete it, um, which, I, again, like as part of the Claremont era X-Men stuff, I think is worth yeah. doing one time. Uh, issues 17 through 24 will continue the cross-time caper. We will not be reading them as part of the 1990 list unless I literally can't find anything else. Uh, but I kind of doubt that's going to be the case. Now, ironically... Oh, like wait, there, there's... Can I, can I point out one other thing I did like here? I'm sorry. Sure. Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, Hank Pym accidentally growing himself way, way too big to be like you know, like, yeah. multiple uh, Mount Everest size was, I think, a really fun idea that I was, like, really into. And, and he's causing, like, worldwide cataclysmic weather problems just by, like, you know, if he breathes, if he shifts in the ocean, he sends tidal waves spinning everywhere, right? Like, yeah. And then Namor jumps up with a gun. 
<laughs> just blasts him and like causes the destruction. Yeah, Namor comes like, in super hot, and it's actually pretty yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, that that was probably like the fun, the most like fun little sequence uh, for me in this whole thing. Yeah, like so they, and they landed on his shoulder and thought it was a new planet, right? Like that, all that stuff was good. Yeah, that was good stuff. I I actually I will say here, so I did misspeak a little. Um, so it runs to twenty five. Excalibur does. That's the full cross time caper. Issue twenty five is actually pretty interesting. Um, you get some like Galactus and Phoenix stuff. Uh, we might actually have to do a little curated selection and come back to this, just not read the whole thing. Uh, looking oh, at some of these issues a, again. I forgot how much Phoenix stuff there might be. Too? Is that still on the no, list? that's also on my <laughs> okay. on my probably going to kick it list. So in 1990, okay. there's Excalibur Weird War Three, um, which is a graphic novel that they did, and uh, that's another one that, in retrospect, I'm like I don't think I really. I think it leans into. Well, now I can't remember. So many Excalibur things lean into like Nazi alternate realities, yeah. Um, in in a way that like is actually, again, like yes. it's this, it's yeah, that's... it's too much <laughs> for a book that's so goofy, you know. The Nazi universe is slipping into our own, and only those wacky warriors of Excalibur stand a chance of defeating this. Yeah, and yeah. It, I don't remember <laughs> thinking it's great, and then just content wise, I'm like, yeah, we could probably find something better. They so, have to um, confront the frightfully familiar air Xavier. <laughs> yeah right i mean i don't know that's just the existence of that universe is like kind of interesting uh but anyway that's where we're going in 1990 uh but up next is gonna be 1989 part five we're gonna do some yeah. return of venom in spidey yep. and then we're gonna do a Exciting. giant extremely relevant west coast avenger story your oh, favorite yeah? uh creator of all time john byrne is on the title and uh, this is gonna be a big one for wandavision fans if you oh, haven't really read it interesting oh yeah right, cool Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Some, the story's called Vision Quest. Said, what does the uh, did, did the the Great Lakes Avengers premiere here? Is that the? I believe that is technically true, although you wouldn't know it from what most people think of when they think of the storyline. But that is technically right. I okay, the case. yeah, it's like where like Squirrel Girl actually premieres in like 1990, even though you know, not really. Yeah, no JLA. They're they're here. Um, I think it's issue 46. But yeah, so that's where we're going. JLA. Uh, a GLA. Sorry, I yeah. misspoke. Um, <laughs> so I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at compacarol.com. He's Zach. You can find him online at My Marvelous Year. Together, we are family. <laughs> it is canonical and uh, and confirmed. Uh, anything else we need to plug? Nope. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Music for the show is by Disaster Piece. Again, you can find ways to support us at patreon.com slash year. And please consider rating and reviewing if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next year. See you next year. Mm-hmm.